Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Morning. How are you? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so grateful that you took time out to join us as we talk about an important topic today. We're talking about the opioid crisis and the settlement that took place a couple days ago in Ohio. And what it means for most of us and what it means for people who are embroiled in this crisis. So stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about the Sackler family, their net worth, and what they have done, and how they tried to hide the money, right? Imagine that. Imagine that living big off of other people's sadness, right? So uh, a few days ago, we talked about, yesterday, we talked about... uh, the nine-year-old boy who was burnt down, who burnt down his house with five people in it. So you need to listen to that, that podcast, right? A nine-year-old boy who burnt his house down, and his mom referred to him as a monster. And uh, we talked about that in detail. I didn't attack anybody. Uh, I understand that folks like to talk about their Children, and especially mothers, they love their sons. Their sons can do no wrong. And, you know, people tend to think that, you know, it's my child. But children, uh, someone explained to me yesterday that children are born like that. We are born wicked. It just needs to be corrected through behavior. And I'm like, I'm not even sure if that, you know, I listen to what they're saying. But they're doing it from a spiritual context that we're all born, you know, born in sin kind of thing and so on. And I'm like, I'm not exactly sure that that's, how, that, that, that's what happens sometimes. Because if that were the case, then I probably would have the same tendency to want to burn down a house with my five family members in it at nine years old. I don't think so. I tend to think that the socialization that occurs inside of our homes is what causes some of these things to happen. So I want you to go back and listen to that podcast and share it with your friends, right? And it brings to mind what we're going to talk about today. It just so happens that last Monday, last Thursday, October 10th, was Mental Health Awareness Day. And I was watching CBS News this morning, and I saw where Gail King, I hope I heard her correctly. She said something along the lines that we have all had issues with our mental health. And I turned around and looked like, so somebody who is going into depression, you're, all of a sudden now we're going to characterize depression as mental health. Like there is no point at which as a human, you don't have ups and downs. The extreme cases are what are treated as mental health. Your inability to recover or your inability to characterize and see incidents in your life for what they are, that's, your, that's where mental health is an issue. But everybody has moments when you go up and down in life. I mean, life does not stay the same. I mean, even for children and and young people, they have moments when you feel high, you know, feel high on the hog and you have this, you you know, this ethereal experience or this kind of experience that makes you feel 
intensely what we call happy. And then you have moments when you just don't, I can't be bothered, especially when so many things happen to you, right? So I'm not so sure that I buy into the idea that we all, it's kind of like in our society today, they want to level the playing field so bad. They want, no one is going to stand out because if you stand out, then you are, something is wrong with you because you make the rest of us look bad. So if you are excellent, you make the rest of us look bad. If you're a good athlete, you make the rest. That's why they don't like athleticism. It's this new age thinking that has emerged where everyone is the same. It's the same thing you see on the playground. Everybody walks off with a trophy. Why? Then if you're not teaching people to, there is a standard to excel for, why is everyone, why should anyone excel? That's exactly their point. Because that is what creates problems. And that's what makes little Johnny feel like he's such a loser. Well, maybe you didn't teach little Johnny to excel. Maybe you haven't taught little Johnny that everyone is not going to win. And if he doesn't win, that doesn't mean he's not a person. He needs to work harder and strive for something. That kind of attitude and thinking, I'm sorry, I'm getting riled up about it. That kind of attitude and thinking is, is, is where all of this is coming from. And I know they're going to come at me with all this kind of stuff. And okay, so you want to come at me, but I don't subscribe to that idea. I remember when my daughter, my youngest daughter, was in uh, elementary school, and they diagnosed her as gifted, and how that became a problem. I mean, all of a sudden, the school district, Southway Public Schools, uh, the school district suddenly said that, uh, no, there are no uh, gifted children, and they took them out of the gifted program, and there's no, no gifted program, and everyone is the same. And I was like, no, you're not. Uh, I'm like, no, you're not. If my child is pronounced gifted, she, it, it is what it is. And, and so I didn't feel like I needed to, uh, the, the ostracism that they were trying to, to make. So they withdrew the entire program because now everybody is the same. Everyone is not the same. I'm sorry. We're not, uh, to be honest with you, we're not all created equal. If we were all created equal, there would be no racism. There'd be no classism, and there definitely wouldn't have been a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg or a Steve Jobs or a Tim Cook or anybody else. There wouldn't be a Ben Carson. There wouldn't be a Michael Jordan or a LeBron James, right? Do you see what I'm saying? If we were all created equal, some people are created for excellence. Some people are created different. They have a different set of skills in terms of skill sets, and they have a different way to apply the skill sets that sets them apart from everybody else. So to say that all people are created equal is a misnomer, and it is an untruth because it is not. Because if that were the case, then everybody would be a Michael Jordan. Everybody would be a LeBron James, right? And everybody would be a Usain Bolt. Don't you all want to be like Usain Bolt? You take off and you're like a bolt of lightning flying down the track right? It just does not work that way. Usain Bolt is an exception. There are plenty of people who run track, but he's the exception. I want to think that I run track too, but I'm no Usain Bolt. There's not going to be any bolt of lightning uh, when I get to the finish line, if I make it to the finish line. Do you see what I'm saying? So what they're doing is leveling the playing field. And now if you have an issue, you, you, you had a divorce, you had a job loss, a significant job loss or a divorce or people get diagnosed with a, with a major illness. If you fall into depression, you're mentally unwell, come the hell on and get over it. Get over it. P- 
people have issues. Life is not the same. See, these people live in a world where they're constantly drugged up. People who think like that, they're constantly on drugs. They, they take drugs to feel happy all day. So, of course, the world is going to be a different place. They take drugs to keep slender and then tell the rest of us that if you don't look like this, then something is wrong with you. And no matter how you work out and no matter how you eat, your body is still subject to the ravages of time. It's still subject to the ravages of aging and whatever other predispositions that your unique DNA has projected on you. But yet you live in a world where these people think that, oh, the world revolves around some new age thinking. I am like, shut up, right? If you've ever been around people who are constantly, and when I say constantly, constantly trying to keep slender, you will realize how irritable and miserable they are all the time. Nobody is ever going to be happy all the time or going to feel good all the time. People are going to have issues and stuff is going to come at you. Now, the, dif- the difference is going to be how do you get up? Are you going to stay in it or are you going to get up? Because stuff is going to happen anyway. Now, if you continue to stay in it and you can't come out of it, now that is where you have a problem. Define that. But people go float in and out of depression all the time. Why? Because there are issues, right? And mental health is when people do crazy stuff. You know, you, you know when they're, they're crazy. I'm not talking about crazy like going to, to smash your, your ex-boyfriend's tires or slash his tires or scratch his car or something. I'm talking about people who stalk you. That's crazy. Define that as being mentally unwell, right? People who stalk you online. That is crazy. People who go after you and they have no reason to be connected to you and yet they're following you around. That is crazy, right? And people who have a desire... I also think that people who kill people are mentally unwell. I think anybody who uh, kills people have issues. That's just me. I just think if you can literally sit there and plan how you're going to kill someone, and then before you know it, you've killed a series of people, you're mentally unwell. That's what needs to be defined as mental unwellness. Not, oh, I don't feel well because my husband left me or my job left me or my lover died, or my husband died, or my wife died, or my brother passed away from a major illness. You see see what I'm saying? These are the things that they need to pay attention to, right? So that's my spiel on that. But when I think about the opioid settlement, I'm thinking of all the people who ended up taking prescription drugs because they could not cope with a life issue. After, sometimes it's people who have just had children. You just gave birth. And it's normal for the cessation of the hormones for you to feel depressed. So they give you a pill to make you feel better. Before you know it, you're addicted to the pill. So it's one thing to take the pill, and initially your provider may prescribe the pill for a reasonable amount of time and so on. And then you become addicted to it. Without it, you can't function. They have created the addiction. So what caused you to feel bad in the first place, you have to go to the root cause, was a life event. People have life events all the time. Stuff happens. In my own family, we've seen stuff happen, right? People have things that happen to them that they internalize differently and that they have to deal with, right? And in dealing with the sum total of this their existence, people often run into issues. Right? I'm not talking about the soccer mom who is at home and bored out of her wits 
because she's running around crazed all day chasing after children, that's a, that's a different thing, right? And she just needs something to cope. So it got to the stage where wine wasn't enough to cope because she can't drive drunk. So she starts popping prescription pills for anti, it's an antidepressant. So you go to the doctor and the doctors who they really ought to penalize as well are the healthcare providers because the doctors have an incentive, have been given incentives by the, the, the drug makers to do what? To prescribe these pills. So they've created this whole carnacea, this, this whole thing around this idea that people are mentally unwell. Let's push drugs on them. So you just need to go to your doctor and tell them that, well, you know, my mom died. They ask you, what's going on? Everything is okay. And you're like, yeah, kind of, you know, my mom died and I'm dealing with it. Or my husband passed away and I'm dealing with it. Uh, well, do you think of hurting yourself? And you're like, no, never, no. And then they're like, well, we can give you something to make you feel better. And there it starts. You become addicted. So it's not so much the drug as it's what they put in the drug. So they make the drug so addictive that you don't have any choice. And in making the drug so addictive, what happens is you end up being addicted and it owns your life. So now you can't function. So now you will do anything to get prescription. No, you'll do anything to get the drug. You will lie to your family. You will steal from your family the money you're supposed to go grocery shopping with, the money you're supposed to pay the mortgage with, the money that you're supposed to save. You take out, You will clean out your entire bank account to buy these drugs. You will figure out ingenious ways. You will create fake IDs, go to different pharmacies so you can get this drug. You will take the drug night and day, even if it means it's going to hurt you or your family. You become an addict. And addictive behavior destroys people's lives. If you really want to look at it, that addiction, that is mental unwellness. If you get to the stage where you have to rely on another stimulator or an external force to prop you up, you have issues with your hormones. Your hormones are not functioning properly. See, years ago, when I was, uh, when my divorce happened back in 2000, I was in counseling. And my counselor explained to me that what happens is when our hormones become depleted, we become unbalanced. So we can't think right. We can't make the right decisions. And she said something I've never forgotten. She said, therapy is designed to help you think. Because she said the answers are within you. But until you have unburdened yourself, you can't figure out what the answers are because all you're doing is the fight or flight, right? So as long as you're, you have to fight or run away from the problem or fight it so you're constantly on edge, you are not exercising the frontal lobe of your brain, which is where your exec, executive and cognitive functions are for you to figure out what the problem is and what the solution is. You're thinking from the back of your brain where your survival mode is. And so when that happens, you are unable to distinguish between reality, to distinguish between what I should do as opposed to what I shouldn't do. This is where people feel helpless and feel like they, they give up because they can't get to the next stage. So here comes the doctor with a the, with the prescription pad. And the doctor writes out a prescription that, tells, that says it is designed to help you make your mind clearer. Your mind is clear for all of like the first five minutes of taking the drug. After that, all it produces is a craving 
to want to have the drug. So by the time it starts wearing off, you have a craving for it. That's what addiction is. It's a craving. See, our bodies are chemical in the first place. So when you introduce chemical substances to our bodies, you created the perfect environment. Because now your body, the chemicals in your body that interact with the chemicals that are in the drug, your body develops a craving for this thing and wants it all the time, wants it more than you want food, wants it more than you need or want the love of your family and your friends. And sometimes they've often said that people lack a support system or they lack a group of people around them to keep them going. That's not necessarily true because sometimes people have good support systems. Sometimes they do have support systems, but the nature of addiction and the cravings that it produces invariably causes people to, re- to withdraw from these social groupings. And the addictive behavior is so bad that it alienates friends and family who would be the support system because they can't understand it because you and I are standing on the sidelines watching our loved one become addicted to something. And you're like, why, why do you have to take it? Why does it control you? And they can't explain it, and they lie, and they steal from you, and they can't tell you why it controls them. But that's what it does. It produces a craving. So is the opioid settlement justified? I'm not sure. I don't think that anything is ever going to replace human life. I think the moral issue that stands out for me is the fact that I went to the doctor, and I told the doctor that I had I felt bad because I was not coping well with the loss of a job or with a divorce or with my husband cheating on me or my wife threatening to leave me or a family member dying or a child in school or in college or you lost a child or some other life through you lost a lot of money on the stock market. So the moral issue is you went to the doctor and told the doctor that. It was then up to the doctor to prescribe something that could help you to cope. I didn't say to prescribe something that contributes to your cravings, but to help you to cope. To me, the doctors are on the hook. They're just as liable. They are the problem. It's not just, so they went after the problem, the source, the source, the drug makers who make the drugs. Guess what? The drug makers are going to make another drug. They have money to do research and development. They're going to do what? They're going to make another drug. In fact, what I've read this morning says there's a drug called Suboxone that is made by an Israeli manufacturer, Teva, that actually reduces the cravings. So, again, who is morally on the hook? The doctor. So at the same time he's prescribing you the pill to make you the happy pills, to make you feel better, he could have also given you Suboxone, the pill that reduces your craving for the happy pill. So who is on the line? The doctor. It's not just the drug drug maker. It's the doctor as well. The doctor is just as liable. The doctor is just as liable. My friends, we got to get to the stage where we start holding these things accountable. And I'm saying to all of us, when you go to the doctor and you think you are bearing your soul to your doctor, your doctor is nothing but a data, a data statistician who is collecting all this data, uploading it into a file where they keep a record somewhere. All of our medical records are uploaded somewhere. So all of a sudden, there's this grand B computer, I call it Oscar in the Sky, 
that has all the information on you. That one is most likely to go commit suicide. That one is most likely to go shoot the place up. That one is most likely to go use the AR-15. That one is most likely to go bunkers, target them from now. You know how I know this to be true? So I went to the doctor and my mom had a history. My mom developed a cancer. The cancer is less than 1% of the population. It's non-hereditary. Listen to me closely. It is non-hereditary, which means it's not something that she inherited from anybody. It's not something she can give to anybody, right? It's non-hereditary. They didn't even ha- it didn't even have a Wikipedia page when we first explored it in 2014. They didn't even have a Wikipedia page. There was no information on it, no treatment. They just used the standard chemotherapy treatment, and that didn't work, right? Now, what happens is I was the one who opened my big mouth and told my doctor that my mother had died from this kind of cancer. All of a sudden, for the last four years, every time I go to my doctor, she's testing me for it. Disguised as prevention, it is more likely they're tracking to make sure that they set a trap, that at some point I'm going to fall into a trap where they're going to have some drugs to prescribe to give me. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's up to me to accept that. Or what am I going to do about it? Heck no. The first doctor, mom's doctor already told us it was non-hereditary. Why do you keep hopping on it? So I have an appointment scheduled to go back to my doctor. And I'm going to ask that question. Why do you keep hopping on it? Because it seems to me that ever since I disclosed that, that's what you're trying to tell me. When if I hadn't disclosed it, you wouldn't have anything to say. It's just like, do you see what I'm saying? So the doctors are in, the doctors are the ones who are at fault. It's not just the drug company. It's the doctors as well. Because you go to the doctor, in order, for, the way the system is designed, it's designed around money. It's not about treating. It's not about treat, treat, uh, diagnose and treat. It's about what? It is about making money. So the edict that doctors have is to heal. They're not in the business of healing. They're in the business of creating dependencies for you to keep coming back so they can make money. Think about it. Every time you go into the doctor's office, the doctor is paid by the insurance company. If the doctor were not being paid by the insurance company, they would not be calling you to schedule your appointment. Hello, somebody. Have you felt hounded by your doctor? So now they have, um, they have these automated phone calls. So you sign up when you go in. Okay, you can reach me by phone. I don't mind. You're thinking they're only going to call you once a year. No, they're calling you every three months. Time for you to come in and get a checkup, a follow-up. So what is that telling you? It's about, it's about marketing. It's about marketing. That's what that's telling you. It's about marketing. It's about money. It's all about the Benjamin. So don't fall into their trap. That's the message. Do not fall into their trap. So you have an issue. Deal with your issue. If you feel that you must get some medical treatment for it, then go to the doctor and tell them. But tell them, I don't want a pill that I'm going to be addicted to. Is that pill likely to be an addiction? Pull your damn phone out and right there in the doctor's office, pull your phone out and look up the name of the pill that the doctor is going to give you. And read it and say, is this pill likely to be make me addicted? Then if it is, please don't write me that prescription. Find me a pill that won't make me addicted. But we blindly trust our doctors. They put on a white coat. So we accept. We can't see inside our bodies. So we think doctors are magicians. 
they magically can't see inside of us. I am now beginning to think, honest to God, I'm now beginning to think that a lot of this is guesswork. It's guesswork. They're guessing whether or not this thing is going to work or not. And guess who is the loser? You and I are. Because, oops, I made a mistake. Oops, I made a mistake and the person dies. Oops, oh, well, I made an incorrect guess. Next time I see something like this, that's a correct guess to make. Because now that you really sit down and think about it, how do they really know what's going on in your body? I kid you not. It's like when my mom got sick the second time, I asked the doctor, how did you miss it? I said, how did you miss it? You just told her less than a year ago that she was cancer-free. So how you missed it? How did you not check her? Did you run all the tests? Did you tell her to come in every six weeks to run tests? No. Did you run the final test? No. So how you missed this? It's what? I was convinced from then that it was all guesswork. So we hold doctors to a high standard. We think they're magicians in the sky. They're some kind of fairy godmother and fairy godfather who knows everything about our body. So we go to them and we unburden ourselves because we think it's safe, not realizing that all you are to them is what? Money. So they're holding you accountable and they are looking for your money. I don't want to freak you out, but it is what it is. And so you have to start looking at, at, at your doctor from the perspective of money. So you have to look at your doctor, not just as an individual, but you look at your doctor, who else is in the practice with them? Who owns the practice? Who do they partner with? And when you start looking at it and looking behind them, you begin to see the great big money machine in it. You ever wonder if you and your doctor live in the same neighborhood, right? Okay, so we don't live in the same neighborhood. Well, where do you live? How the hell you can afford to live there? How much money do you make? So you go www.google.com, that seems to have most of the answers, and you Google how much a doctor makes. You can even Google how much your doctor makes. It's going to be mind-blowing. You're like, dang, no wonder you want me to come in every month. No wonder you want me to come in every three months because I am money to you. And my friends, that's what we need to understand. We need to get into this place where we recognize that they, we are just, we, you, for your doctor, for you to go to your doctor, your doctor is looking at you, and every year you are worth $15,000 to her. So she's going to run all sorts of tests, and those tests are expensive. They don't cost $5, right? She didn't go to medical school for a test to cost $5. So the te- she's going to run all the tests that she can. He can, he, she or he, right? They're going to look at you up and down. And how much are you worth? Ten to $15,000 a year. So if they have, if a typical partnership has what? Four, three, 400 people times 10 to 15,000. How much is that? You begin to see how much they're being paid, right? How much it is worth. You really think that they're not going to find a diagnosis, especially in today's world where they say people have a predisposition. Because of ethnicity, you're predisposed to having this. I'm like, no, I'm not. I didn't grow up eating like a slave. I didn't grow up eating that. I've lived well all my life. I've, you know, and you start saying, I don't think I fit into that. Or if you grew up in a certain place or if you live in a certain place, you have a likely predisposition to that. And you're like, sucks, major, but no. 
Or you can say, well, my mother weighed 400 pounds, but here I am weighing 120. Or my mother weighed 120 pounds, but here I am weighing 400 pounds. The reason I weigh this much is because I overeat. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So, so when you look at the opioid settlement, you, you imagine your doctor. This is you sitting in front of your doctor. Oh, doc, you know, you know, I'm having a little problem coping with life. And, you know, sometimes I don't feel happy and I don't want to roll out of bed. And when I get up, I have to drink a little. And the doctor said, okay, I can write you something. I'm going to give you a pill. You take this once a day or whenever you feel like it. And when you run out, you let me know. And you're like, thank you, doc. And you walk out and you go and you get your pill. I know you're all laughing at me. And that's your fix, and you get the pill. Then you start getting more and more. So you start thinking about it. Well, remember we talked about the exercise in which we started looking at who is our doctor, right? Then who owns the practice? Because they have to answer to someone, right? So who owns the practice that your doctor is in? You've got to examine that. How is that operated? What are the modalities? Where's the money? Who owns the money? Who's getting the money? You got to look at that, right? So once you start looking at that, you're like, well, what is the incentive for my doctor to stay in business? You know what the incentive is? Who provides that incentive? The drug company. The drug companies tell the doctor, if you write this much prescription, you get this, you get that. There are always kickbacks. They're just highly hidden. Trust me, I worked in healthcare. There are kickbacks. They used to send out, uh, they, the drug companies hired people who were former cheerleaders or who were former athletes. You ever wonder why the drug, the, 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 the drug salesperson is always good looking? It's specific for a reason. They hired only former cheerleaders. They hired only good looking people who would walk into doctor's offices because apparently that's what they would respond to. And they would hire them with the sole purpose of influencing them to buy drugs from the drug company. When that didn't work, they gave them incentives. It was only but a few years ago where they reduced that. The doctors used to get an incentive for every prescription they wrote. They stopped that. But that doesn't mean the practice discontinued. They just stopped keep putting it on paper. So somebody will show up and give the doctor some money in an envelope, or the doctor gets a timeshare. Or they get something that now cannot be traced back to them. But trust me, your doctor is an active participant in your demise. Right? So who owns, who are the people behind the distribution of the drug? Well, there is the, 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 pharm- the, pharmac- the, the pharmacist salesperson. So behind the pharmacist salesperson is a sales manager. Behind the sales manager is a vice president. Behind the vice president is the president, is the CEO, and the board, the board of directors. Behind, this, behind the CEO is the board of directors. Behind the board, board of directors is the shareholder, and behind the shareholders is who? The owners. So what they decided to do with the opiate settlement is they went after the people who owned the company. They found a group of people called the Sackler family. These suckers have been living high on the hog. While your sister, your auntie, your uncle, your mom, your brother, your husband, your ex, your nephew, your niece, your BFF, your cousin, while our relatives 
were struggling with a craving for a drug just because they had an issue. Your son had an issue. They're bullying him at school. He was depressed. You had to give him something to keep him going. Your daughter came home because they pick on the mean girls picked on her. While you were trying to fix your relatives, the Sackler family were living high on the hog, trying to buy their own island. Just recently, they found where once the opioid crisis started, guess what they did? <laughs> they started transferring their money to offshore accounts. That means they were going to say, okay, we, we're rich, so we just have a certain amount that so we're going to declare bankruptcy. They began transferring their money out of the country because they thought they were so rich and so wealthy that they could never be caught up in it. You got to understand how big and huge this thing is. You have to see this for what it really is. It's all about money. My friends, us eating, exercising, getting, then you get sick, then your body breaks down. It's all about the money, right? It's all about who is going to profit from your demise. Who is going to profit from your mind not working properly? Who is going to profit from your body not working properly? Once you identify them, those are the culprits. Are you going to succumb to them? No, this is not a conspiracy theory. We just don't spend enough time thinking about these things, right? We don't spend enough time thinking about these because we are too busy. That's for my doctor to figure out. That we have so much going on. I just said the same thing. I said, I can't even think about anything else. My mind is occupied with so many things. So what I really should be focused on or what I should focus on, I don't have the mental space to do because my mind is consumed by these other things that I have deemed to be more important. So I'm like, I, I, I don't want to think about that right now. So you go to the doctor and they're like, that's okay. That's where I come in. I've got just the right thing for you. I've got a pill that will help you feel better. Take it for a few days. Judge how you feel and come back. They want you on the hook so that they have you hooked, line and sinker and can reel you in so you keep coming back to them. They are building their patient base. You've got to see this, folks. And once you see it and you begin to understand it, then you're going to act accordingly. So now what you're going to do? When the next life event comes your way, you talk your own self off the ledge. You've got to surround yourself with a group of people whom you can talk to. You can't keep it bottled up. The last thing you want to do is show up at the doctor's office and say, I think I have an issue. They're going to call the men in white suits. So have a group of people whom you can go and talk to in confidence. And see, you know, this isn't working for me. This, I feel like this is not working for me. So you can safely get it off your chest so you don't end up on the doctor's couch with an opioid addiction because they give you a pill that produces a chemical reaction in your body that creates a craving for this pill. Sometimes it's the chemicals that they put in the pill. Sometimes it's the coating that they put on the pill. Sometimes they put a sugary effect on the pill. So when you taste it, you have a good effect. So you're craving it. The chemicals in your body start craving the chemicals that is in the pill. You look in some people's uh, 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 thingy in their bathroom, their medicine chest in their bathroom, and it's like a pharmacy in there. It's pharmacopoeia. 
you're like, oh, my God, they have a living pharmacy. And you wonder why the children end up with issues. They have a pill for stomach acid. They have a pill for this. They have a pill for that. Before you know it, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, my God, I'm taking six pills a day. And I, you're not even sick with a, with a life-changing disease. I kid you not. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to begin to take a second look. I promise you this. If you, can, if you can clear your mind and if you can get enough sleep, right, and get enough rest, eat the right food, nutrition is an important part of our mental health. We can't continue to eat high-fatty, high-salt, high-sugary foods and then use alcohol to offset it and think it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay at any day of the week. We can't continue to eat a high-carb diet that creates in our bodies a sugar. The sugar, we don't, we're not active enough for it to break down as energy, so it just gets stored and becomes fat. You see what I'm saying? So you sit there and you look in the mirror and you say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I kid you not. We have to become guardians of our own health mental and physical. Watch your mental health. When people start bringing stress to you, say, you know something? I've had enough. I can't deal with that today. I'll talk to you later. And you leave that alone. Put some limit on what you can tolerate. You're in a toxic relationship of some sort? Well, get rid of it. Like, why am I being toxic for you? Get rid of it. You're at work and you have to take a Zantac because the stress on the job is so much. That you'd like, oh, my God, but I need the job to pay my rent. I need the job to pay my mortgage. I need the job to send my kids to school. Find another one where it's less stressful. Reduce your standard of living or what you think you must have. I like to call it living within your means. So many of us don't know what living within our means is. We're terrified to find out. Because then that would mean we're no longer in that social group. Right? And... Or you might say to yourself, I don't even know what's wrong. I kid you not. I kid you not, folks. It's, it's the most incredible thing ever. So I say this with all equanimity and with all the faith and with all the belief that we have developed better ways of coping with issues. In spite of everything, you have to get up every day and motor on and push yourself. You have to be your own voice, your own advocate, your own person. When you go to the doctor, you have to ask them questions. What does this pill do? What does this do? How do I get back from this? Is this an addictive pill? What are the side effects? Let the doctor disclose it. And then once the doctor has disclosed it, then you will know what to do. Make a list of questions that you're going to ask the doctor. Go armed with some information, right? Look it up and go ask the doctor. uh, You know, I did do some research on this, and when I looked it up, it says this and that. In your opinion, is that what it is? Because what it comes down to is what? The doctor's opinion. Based on wisdom and experience. That means they have had some experience doing around it. So the doctor who just graduated medical school and is going into the emergency room for the first time, 
does not have as much experience as the doctor who has been practicing this. They know. They can listen to your symptoms and they can make a suggestion based on what you have described. Sometimes they go, you know, their, their intuition as well as their experience will guide them to a certain set of you know, diagnosis and they look at the symptom. But this opioid crisis didn't start and it didn't end. It didn't start because people felt benevolent. It started because people saw an opportunity to make money. There was a growing segment of the population whom they felt could have been addicted to drugs. So we, you can't do illegal substances anymore, whether it's powder or what's that, marijuana. So they're giving you something that the doctor can write. It's completely legal. Yeah, create a whole set of people who are dependent on drugs, but it's completely legal. That's why we had to hold them accountable. I hope that it breaks every pharmaceutical company. I hope that every county in the United States, in every state, every county in every state, I hope they sue the pants of these drug makers. But I also hope that, that people go after the doctors because the doctors were the ones who wrote the drug and wrote the prescription knowing full well that the side effects are that you would be addicted. And they wrote it anyhow. So take the drug maker's money and go fix it. It's not going to bring your relative back whose life was utterly destroyed. Sometimes when cases of drug addiction, people don't come back. Even after you have taken them through therapy, some people don't ever recover. Sometimes they switch addiction from pills to substances to drinking. But the chemicals in their bodies are always craving for something else. You don't believe me? You ever heard of crack babies? Babies who did never took crack, but their mothers took crack when she was pregnant with them. It's in the bloodstream. So the child has a craving for crack. They have to give them something to reduce it. But some, some of these kids have to take something for the rest of their lives. They never took crack, but their mother did because it's in the blood. You see what I'm saying? So who started it? That's who we need to sue. We also need to get to the doctors. If we could find drug dealers who sold people crack and hold them accountable, we should do that too. Because it would send a message that we're not going to tolerate you creating a dysfunction on unsuspecting, innocent people and destroying people's lives. The opioid settlement is not enough. The $260 million that two Ohio counties will get, we need to break their bank. Break them. Take their money, go implement drug treatment programs across the country, ways in which people can recognize the symptoms of opioid addiction and addiction, and move forward. And moving forward for those of us who have tendencies to fall prey to what the doctor suggests that we should do, and to fall prey, you have a certain line of thinking that tends to take you down a narrow path that leads to destruction. Watch out for that. Surround yourself with positive ideas, even in the midst of negativity. You still have to get up and find, push yourself. A generation ago, they did not have, we didn't have so many people on mental health. That was the first thing. And we didn't have so many people who were getting depressed. In our fast-paced lives where everything is played out, you watch them add on TV and you're like, dang, my life doesn't measure up to that. So I guess I'm not worth anything. So we are comparing ourselves to others who have a make-believe existence. Don't believe everything you see on the internet. You think all those people are leaving the, leading this fabulous life that they're putting out there? People create stories. 
right? They support, they're unwell. They know they're lying, <laughs> right? So get up and live. I don't think there's 260 million. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. And it's not just the Sackler family. There are other families too. They too need to be held accountable. My name is Harriet Kimmick. Go to my website, harrietkimmick.com. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Continue to listen to our broadcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on Google Podcasts and anywhere your favorite podcast platform is. And go to our website and support what we do by buying our books and inviting me to speak at your next event. I thank you so much for your support. I look forward to seeing you and I look forward to meeting with you at some point in the future. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day. Be blessed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.